morning. So the word for today is anticipation. And I'm going to start off with a a fishing story. Yeah, I knew I'd get that reaction out of you, Wyatt. (coughs) So several years ago, my son, Gavin, and myself and Larry Kirby were out fishing. We're trying to catch walleye at Glendale. And we're in my boat, and we're trolling, so we're using bottom bouncers. You know, we got to set up the drag along the bottom, trying to catch walleye, which is where they're at. And I'm driving the boat, and uh, I catch one. And so, you know, I'm super excited because I'm driving the boat, and usually I don't catch fish because I'm driving, right? It's always my son who catches the fish because I'm a good dad. But <laughs> so I, I hook it. I turn the boat off. Larry and Gavin are excited because I'm excited. The pole's bent completely over. I'm reeling it in. They're reeling in their pole so they don't get tangled up, trying to find the net. The pole's bent over. The drag's going out because I got the the drag. The the resistance set a little light, you know, which adds to the anticipation, right? Bringing it in, thinking, man, what is this thing? Is it a, it feels like like a five-pound walleye. I hope it's a walleye. Could be catfish. Could be a carp, hope it's not a carp. You know, the anticipation of bringing that thing in and everybody waiting on it. And I, I bring it up to the surface. Gavin's got the net, and this is what I caught. <laughs> Do you remember that? And I asked Larry about it, and Larry and I said, did you net it or did Gavin? And he goes, Gavin netted it because he had the net, and he looked at us like, what do I do? Larry says, net it. Who do you know that catches a five-pound rock from the bottom <laughs> of the lake, you know? So... So I leave that at Larry's barbershop for conversation. (laughs) That's my trophy there. Anticipation. I was anticipating the biggest walleye of my life. And I ended up with a rock. Today is Palm Sunday. The Jews were anticipating something, and they got something different. Let's pray, and we'll go into the scripture. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for... The history that we can go over, that we can remember, and uh, the lessons that we can learn from that. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, your son, most of all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 12. The triumphal entry. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. We're talking about anticipation, the the anticipation that the Jews had. So we got to put ourselves in their shoes at this time. You need to remember what was going on, who, who they were. This was their history. This is all about their culture. The Jews 
were celebrating the Passover feast. God commanded them to, to remember this, to have the feast, to remember God delivering them out of Egypt years and years ago. They've done this every year. It's a festival, and I, in my mind, I compare it to the Super Bowl. I know that's, not a, that's a horrible illustration, but that's how big it is. Everybody knew about it. Everybody was part of it. And if you needed to advertise, that'd be the best time to do it, right? The and this week in Jerusalem, correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, I don't remember the numbers, but I think they were saying there was like two and a half million people during this week coming to Jerusalem from all around. Everybody was doing, it was part of their, uh, like I said, their history. They, they knew about the prophecies. At, now they've seen Jesus who's been doing these miracles, healing people, the, the blind see, the lame walk, healing sicknesses. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. People saw it, as it says, and they bore witness to it. They sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the, the son of David. These are things they knew about. This, this is their history. They know what's happening here. They, have, they know that the nation of Israel has been taken over at times when they turn away from God. The nation of Israel taken over by other countries. When they cry out to God for help, he always delivers them. And what's the situation now? Rome is in control, are they not? They are oppressing the Jewish people, and they see these signs that Jesus is doing, and they see a Savior. Not only that, they see him riding in on a donkey's colt fulfilling prophecy right in front of their eyes. So you can understand the anticipation of these people, seeing all these, come, all these things come to fruition and how excited they are that their Savior is coming. The problem is they anticipated a kingdom on earth and missed out on the kingdom of heaven. They were expecting Jesus to kick Rome out and make, nation a, make Israel a great nation again. They didn't realize what he was doing right there. As Christians, we can anticipate the kingdom of God in heaven and miss out on the kingdom of God on earth. Now, don't misunderstand me. We need to anticipate, we have to anticipate the kingdom of heaven. That is our hope, is it not? The hope that Jesus Christ gave us. He paid the price for us that we will spend eternally, eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior, in the presence of our God because of what he did. That is the hope we have. But what I was thinking about, and, you know, we think about the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians. You know, from the people that will only come next week in Christmas, they call themselves Christians, and I don't, you know, maybe they are, maybe they do believe. I'm not, we can't judge that. All the way to you faithful that come every week, you faithful that follow Jesus, we can anticipate the kingdom of heaven, have that too much of a focus, and lose sight, miss out on the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Okay? There's three things that I can, there, there's a 
a lot of things we could talk about, but three that I picked today that I want to talk about today. The kingdom of God on earth through serving. Now this, don't be afraid, this is not the time I'm going to start saying, okay, I want you to start signing up for certain jobs around the church that you need to do. What I'm talking about is serving others, loving on others, experiencing the kingdom of God on earth through serving others. Jesus gave us several examples, and two of these I'm going to go. One of them is the woman at the well. In John 4, he, Jesus and his disciples are coming from Galilee back to Jerusalem, and they're going right straight through Samaria. Now, to most of us, that doesn't mean anything, but Samaria and the the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. They didn't like each other. They had a real problem with each other. So if you were traveling that way, a Jew would take the roundabout way and get to get to Jerusalem. Jesus took the straight route and went right straight through there. Not only that, he sat at a well and was talking to a woman, which was uncouth, but he was talking to a woman who was not part of the regular group of women because of her life choices. She was on her own at a certain time of day where she could come and not be harassed or whatever. So this woman, Jesus talks to her. He, he shares with her the fact that he is the Christ. And he talks with her, and, and we'll pick it up in verse 39 of chapter 4, John. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Samaritans are saying this. Not the Jewish people. The, the people that, these two groups just don't get along. And Jesus took the time to stop and talk to her and give her the good news. That's an example of how we need to be. Sharing the love. That's the heaven on earth I'm talking about. We need to take the time and love on people, serve, on, serve people that we may not necessarily like or that we may not necessarily get along with. Jesus also showed us in John chapter 13 how to serve others by washing the disciples' feet. If you don't fully understand what that, the implications of that are, realize they were all sitting at dinner. This is a job of the lowliest servant in the house. Jesus was humbling himself completely at that moment and showing his servanthood to his disciples and showing them how much of a servant we should be and washing their feet. In verse 12, it says, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What greater picture could we have of Jesus humbling himself and showing us how we should serve others? The, the depths that we should take to, to showing others that we love them and we care about them. Jesus' last instructions on this earth to the disciples was the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. I'm just going to stop right there. Go and make disciples of all nations. Not just who you're most comfortable with, of all nations. Making, them, making disciples. You've got to go out. You've got to be among the people. You've got to love on them. We see pieces of heaven on earth when we share the love of Jesus. It's not only words that we need to share with people, but our actions. Yes, we need to know the gospel. We need to know the good news. We need to share that with them. But think about how much of an effect we have on somebody when we love on them like Jesus loved on us. If we can even take a small amount of that love that Jesus has for us and share it with somebody outside of our circle, outside of this group, what an impact that will have. You know, I've heard others say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not very good at stepping out of my comfort zone and talking to people. I'm just not that great at doing that. And that's fine. We all have our own different abilities, gifts that God has given us, things that we should use. But you are an evangelist. You are an evangelist when you share love with other people. It doesn't have to be a speech about Jesus Christ every time you talk to somebody. It can be sharing the love of Christ through your actions, through taking time out of your schedule and letting them know that this is what Jesus did for me through your actions. You can do this. You can love on people because you were created in the image of God. Think about that. You and I were created in the image of God. And what is God? He's love, isn't he? He is love, the definition of it. And you were created in the image of God. So you are able, and I know you're able, and I know you have the desire to love on others. So when we share our love, they see that. And they know Christ. In 1 Corinthians 13, talks about love. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So you can be the smartest guy in the room. You can know all there is to know about God's word. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. It, it, it always cracks me up when I hear people outside of the Christian community say, you know what's wrong with our world? If we just all would just love one another, everything would be great. You know what? They're right. But they don't know the love of Jesus. That's why it's not working. They need to know the love of Jesus and the power that is there. So, you know, they are right. 
in a sense. The next point, well, first let me say, remember, we're talking about sharing the love with people outside of the church. It's been said the longer we are in church, the less friends we have outside of the church. Which if you really think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? The longer we're in the church, the longer we understand that love of Christ, the longer we yearn for that love from each other, the more I want to be around you guys and not the evil of the world. So that's, we, I say that because we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of the fact that we do start to tend to grow, come closer and stick around what we like, what is good, what is right. And we need each other, and that's the next point. Just be aware. We need to speak out to others. The kingdom of God on earth through our fellowship. We see the kingdom of heaven through our fellowship. In Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I started with talking about reaching out and sharing the love of Christ with those that don't know it. That's the example we need to be. But we also miss out when we don't come together in the fellowship. If we try to do it on our own, we miss out on heaven on earth. We miss out on the encouragement that we receive from one another, the love that we receive from one another because we are like-minded. You know, if you think about it, what's heaven like? Obviously, we're going to be in the presence, uh, presence of God, right? Well, I expect to see all of you there too. So this is a little piece of heaven right here. When I have relationships with you, like-minded people who love Christ as well, when I see you at the gym, you know, just that moment, there's a little bit of heaven there. Not much because I know I still got to work out and, 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 and do some work. But there's a little bit of heaven even when I'm having issues and I come to Larry and he's got me chokehold telling me, Paul, you need to wake up. Because there's the love there. He has that love for me that he's willing and he knows me, has that relationship that that's what I need at that time. Sometimes I need a smack on the head. We, won't, we don't know. Maybe sometimes a gentle word is what we need to share with one another. How else are we going to know that unless we spend time together and know how to encourage one another and be, and be part of that kingdom on earth? Jesus seemed to think it was pretty important. He surrounded himself with 12 disciples all the time, shared with them all the time, took them wherever he went, taught them everything he was trying to teach them. Not only that, but there was three of them that he was really close to, that he took on adventures, if you want to call it, to experience things that nobody else got to experience, like the transfiguration. In Matthew 17, he took them, let me get there, 
It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Think about that. You think Jesus thought fellowship was important? Bringing Peter, John, and James up to experience that? To be with him during that? time Matthew 26 Jesus has them come with him to pray in the garden of Gethsemane then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples sit here while I go and pray over there and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed then he said to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus needed his best buddies to come with him and pray with him. And they failed and they fell asleep. Do you think Jesus thought fellowship was important? How often do we call upon our brothers and sisters? How often should we call on our brothers and sisters? Allowing them to bless us. Every time, all the time. You need something, call your brothers. There's believing brothers you know that have the Holy Spirit. Seek the encouragement from them. If I miss a Sunday for some odd reason, and I'm missing you guys, I still got God. Of course I've got God. I can pray to Him without ceasing. But I need you, I need your fellowship. As a matter of fact, I had, didn't have enough time to shake everybody's hand this morning, and I'm a little taken by that right now. So you can't leave without one. But you understand what I'm saying, that that is the kingdom of God on earth, isn't it? Even for a moment is the fellowship that we have together. How many men would go to war alone? Why should this spiritual war be any different? Why should we go to war with the enemy alone when we know that we have each other's back? Finally, we can miss out on the kingdom of God here on earth by who we are following. Now, we can get caught up in all the political stuff and that whole arena thing, but I think we can agree that every one of us wants a good leader for our nation. We want a good and righteous man to stand up and do the right thing, to, to follow through with what he says. And I'll say it, make America great again. But you understand what I'm saying. Do, is there still issues with the president we have? Sure. He should probably stay off Twitter, you know. There's... Give and take. 
I always feel like every time there's a presidential election, it, I've, it's always the choice of the lesser of two evils, you know? Well, guess what? We have a king, and he is the best choice, the only choice. He is righteous and good. He will do the right thing, and he only has your best interest at heart. I'm remi- reminded of a story, again, of history, where Israel demanded a king. It's in 1 Samuel 8, the first few verses there. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Ab- Abijah. I can't say it. They were judges, they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that, you, all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. It's not, that they, it's not bad that they wanted a king. It's bad that they wanted a king like all the other nations, and they weren't putting God first. That's what I think about when we lose that focus. Do we need to serve our president? Yes, of course. Do we need to serve our boss at work? Yes, of course. We need to do a good job as long as it's within the will of our God. But do we see him as our king, as, a, as the ruler of our life? Do we serve him first? Jesus said it's better that he should leave He's telling the disciples in John 16, it's better that he should leave, that the Holy Spirit can come. Think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ was on earth, our king, and he said, it's better for you that I leave right now so that I can send the Holy Spirit. You have God living inside of you, dwelling within you. You have the king with you all the time. How much do you seek his help, his guidance? How much do I follow him, really? He's the king of my life. We can lose sight of the fact that we need to follow him first and serve him. Do we truly understand who he is? He is the ultimate leader and king. He will never steer us wrong. Maybe not in the direction we expect, but it's always better for us in the end. He promises to never leave us or forsake us, to always love us. What better king is there? As the worship team comes forward, I want to conclude with this. We started with anticipation. Anticipate this. Well, don't anticipate a fish and get a rock. But anticipate a God who is who he says he is. Trust in God's word, that he will follow through on what he promises. Anticipate the love and the peace and the joy that he brings and be filled. 
Anticipate the Holy Spirit working through you to see His work done and experience His presence here on earth. It starts now by accepting Jesus Christ and following Him. If you have a decision,